Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Drive Watch. If you see something, say something. SMS your anonymous tip-off to Crime Line on 32211. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Now, you know, this man knows everything, Mr. Chris Smith. Weekly favorite, he's back. There is no question this man cannot answer. This man is the smartest person. I should have had this man when I was in, when I was in school, you know, or even when I went to varsity because I could have been anything I wanted. I could have won my Nobel Peace Prize by now or my Nobel Science Prize. Chris, welcome. Good morning. How are you today? I'm in very good form, thank you. And you? I'm good. Chris, you know, you know, as uh, somebody who's over 40 now, uh, hairs start growing out of your nose and you can't figure out, uh, this air. You don't know whether you need a lawnmower or you need a clipper <laughs> or you need scissors. But you know, at our age, that's what happens. But you know what irritates, uh, Chris is when you pull this thing, your, oh, yes. you, you, from your nose. You, the tears. Indeed. Why does that happen? Because I'm not sad. I'm actually happy oh, with the yeah, idea no, it, of getting it, it, rid of these powerful things. Reaction. I think it's a nerve reaction, actually, Tebe, that um, what's going on is that those hairs in your nose are very, are very intensely connected to your nervous system, and it is assumed by your nervous system that if you stimulate those hairs, there must be some kind of irritation in your nose and this triggers i think a number of things one of them is reflex sneezing or you screw up your eyes and this stops the tears going down into your tear duct for a bit so they spill over down your face i think it also increases the um, supply of tears transiently because the tears go out of your eyes down into your nose and if you put more tears down into your nose you might flash out whatever the irritation is so i think your body interprets you trying to pluck out your slightly burgeoning nasal growth as some kind of irritation in the nose that needs to be washed away it's, it's it sounds so complicated uh, uh chris but i'm glad somebody can explain this uh you know now i've got it all i'm gonna replay this to my kids and explain to them when i get kids one day why this happens we got some sms's we couldn't get through last uh last week and this one here was from musi and musi says every morning and in the middle of the night when i come out of bed and touch the door handle light switches my hands get shocked actually see a blue spark around the handle or a light switch What's in my body? Do I need medical care? <laughs> this person is on fire, Chris. 
I think what's going on is, this is static electricity, obviously. Um, I would suggest replacing the nylon bed sheets with cotton ones. This will probably solve the problem. But no, more seriously, when you get up and you walk across the floor, especially if it's a carpeted floor, or if you have been rolling around in bed and you have got um, some artificial fibres rubbing against each other, then this can transfer charges onto your body. You build up a, a charge of electricity. When you walk across the floor, you then touch the door handle, which is um, a good conductor. It is also at a different level of charge to you, so there's what we call a potential difference between the two, and the electricity flows from one to the other to balance out that potential difference, and you get a spark because that is the passage of the electricity going from where there's a lot of charge on one thing to where there's a different charge on the other thing, and as the electricity jumps through the air to do that, it excites air molecules producing light, and that's the spark you can see. Please call in 011-8830702 or 021-446-0567. Tabby things standing in for Rudy Tabby. I want you to call and ask the naked scientist. He's here. There's nothing Chris Smith cannot solve. David. Good morning to you, Chris. I, I'm raising something that I discussed with you a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a young man in this country. He was featured in one of our local uh, magazines called Progeria, which is a premature aging. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. <clears throat> Have the scientists, is it due to a chromosome? What is the cause of this? I think the poor young man, I forget his name, I think he's since passed away, rest in peace. But do, this obviously is an indication to the aging process. Maybe we can learn from this. Do, do we know anything about this particular accelerated aging? Yeah, they know the gene that's associated with this. So they do know which gene is linked to it, uh, David, but I don't think people entirely understand why it causes cells to degenerate or the aging process to accelerate in these people in the way it does. I'd need to do a bit more reading to tell you the answer uh, in more detail, but they certainly do have a gene that's linked to it. I cannot remember exactly what the name of that gene is. There's a number of them, and there's one that is the most dominant cause of this. Um... I think it makes a, a chemical called progerin in cells, but I'll have to check that one. We've got Alvin on the other line. Alvin, what's your question? Good day and good day to your listeners. Uh, Chris, um, I just wonder, you know, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a computer fan, and I just wonder why do why do computers only speak in binary language? Why not to the best three to the first four? Maybe there's a technology that can Good question, Alvin. Good question. There must be a better language than those funny ones and zeros. Answer the question, Chris. <laughs> okay, so why do computers use binary? Well, the thing is, this is a very simple way of doing things because when we make transistors or logic gates, we want either a yes or no answer to a question. And binary is yes or no. One is yes, naught is no. And so you can make logic gates or logic circuits where if this is yes and this is no or yes, then do the following. So it actually works extremely well using binary, and uh, that's why we do it. My computer's always by no, by no, by no, because always going off. Mary, you've got a question. Oh, sorry. We're going to go to Sas Sadila from Randberg. Yeah. What's your question, Sadila? Uh, Jenna, uh, Jenna from Pretoria. Yes, hi. Um, I, I listen on the, on the radio. I just want to know, 
the blood groups, you know, with the parents, the, the father and the mother, and then how did the, what did the children get? Is it a mixture of the grandparents? How does the, how did the blood groups actually work? Hello, Jenna. The answer to this one is that in humans, there are three main blood groups that we talk about, group A, group B, and group O, and you can get mixtures of the genes that cause those, so there's one additional group, which is group AB. So here's how it works. Uh, group, if you have uh, one of those blood groups, let's say it's group A, what that means is that the cells in your blood have a marker on them called A. If you're group B, the cells have a marker on them called B. And if you're group O, they don't have an A and they don't have a B. If you're group AB, then they have the, both the A marker and the B marker. Now, if you're a group A person, there's two ways you can be group A. You can have a gene that makes you make the A marker, and you can have a second gene that makes you have the A marker, because you get one gene from your mother and one gene from your father. Similarly, if you're group B, you could have a gene from your mother that says group B and another gene that says group B, so you're group B, or you could have um, a, a group B marker or a group O, because the B will always be there, but the O just doesn't make anything, so what we see is group B. And with group O, you have to inherit from both of your parents a group O and a group O, because if you make an A or a B, you won't be group O anymore. If you're group AB, then one of your parents gives you a gene that makes you have the marker for A, the other parent gives you a marker for group B. And so when you then have children, let's say you're group A, if you've got the A marker, you, and let's assume you've got an A gene and another A gene, one from each parent, then you will give to your child an A gene, and depending upon what your partner gives, then when the two mix together in the children, then the children could will definitely carry one A gene because you're group A, um, uh, and they will also then carry one of whatever the, the other person gave them. So it's pretty complicated, but it's relatively simple in the grand scheme of things, and we can understand and unpick what people must therefore be based on their parents. Does that answer the question? Jenna, does it answer your question? You know, I, I, thought, I thought maybe Jenna was calling to see how she can swap parents or how she can recode her parents. <laughs> Chris, can one do that, Chris? I mean, you know, I hear a lot of people now saying that you can actually, you can actually create your own, your own, the, your, the new DNA for your own child. Can one do that these days? So well, why do we need parents if we can do that ourselves <laughs> now? We, we can't do that ourselves at the moment. But what people have been talking about are these so-called three-parent embryos. And there are, in some people, changes to structures called mitochondria, which are the powerhouses in your cells. And those mitochondria have their own genetic information in them. And there are certain diseases called mitochondrial enzyme defects, which arise because there are genetic defects in those mitochondria. And these generally tend to be quite severe illnesses. But what people have discovered you can do is you can take a, an egg from a donor person, a mother, who, a, a woman who's healthy, and you can take the genetic material out of that egg and you can put into it the genetic material from the mother who has the mitochondrial enzyme problem and then you can fertilise this egg with the father's DNA, sperm, and you end up with a baby which has got the mitochondria from the donor mother, but the genetic material from its natural mother and its natural father. And so effectively this child has three parents, and this has been proven to be safe, and um, people are beginning to introduce this process now therapeutically to try to stop people getting these so-called mitochondrial enzyme diseases. So it's hello, good children, and goodbye, uh bad kids. Now we can create good kids uh, according to your own design. Colin... 
Tabe Ikalafeng standing in for Ready Tabi on 011-883-0702 or 021-446-0567, live on 702 and Cape Talk 567. We've got James, and James wants to know, why is yawning so contagious? That's a good <laughs> question for me. Yes. Hi, James. Tabe, uh, Chris, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is James Machibeng from Midrand. I want to know. Uh, why is uh, yawning so catchy or you sit next to a person because oh and then you do the same I, I've, I've been asking myself that and don't have an answer i'll listen on the radio thank you well james we don't know exactly why yawning is so contagious uh, but what current theories suggest is that this is a way of perking you up and keeping you awake and i'll explain in more detail there's a guy called gordon gallup who is a researcher in new york he did a study where he took students and showed them videos of people yawning and he watched how many times the students yawned when the people on the videos yawned. And the students didn't know they were being watched in this way and what they found is that they yawned almost every time that the person on the screen yawned. So this is sort of sympathetic yawning. Then they changed the experiment slightly and they said to the students, this time we either want you to watch the video again with your mouth open or we want you to watch the video again and hold this cold compress onto your forehead. And when the students watched the video with their mouths open, they did not yawn, sorry, they yawned all the time that the person on the screen yawned. When they held the cold compress on their head, they yawned almost none of the time. And their conclusion is that when you breathe through your mouth, then you are not cooling your nasal passages, and your nasal passages have blood flowing back through into the inside of your skull where they can have a cooling effect on your brain. So if you hold the cold compress above your nose or you breathe through your nose, you're cooling your brain down a bit. And if you're cooling your brain down a bit, this makes you more alert because when people get very tired and sleep deprived, brain temperature goes up and yawning goes up. So their theory is that yawning occurs because we get an overheated brain and we need to cool it down. Uh, sympathetic or contagious yawning probably occurs because from an evolutionary point of view, if you're out there in the bush somewhere, there's a group of you all together, it's night time, and there might be someone creeping up on you or a big animal come, come and eat you, then if one person starts to yawn, it could be because they're getting tired and their brain's getting overheated. So if you catch that yawn as well, it'll perk all of you up, and this means you're less likely to all get eaten because you'll all stay alert. We live with the naked scientist, Chris Smith. Mary, you've got a question that sounds like it's a problem you shouldn't be having. What's your question, Mary? Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, I don't know who am I speaking to. You're speaking to Chris Smith, and you've got Tebe Kalafeng standing uh, in for Reedy okay. Tabi on seven hundred two five six seven. Good morning. Okay, I've got a question here. I have watched The Biggest Loser on DSTV channel. It's about these obese people that have a short period to lose their weight, you know, the excessive weight. I think it was about, it was a, a period of three months. Now, surely there is a lot of loose skin hanging. I want to know what happens to this loose skin. Because now they have reached their goal weight and uh, I don't see no skin around their bodies. Do they have this removed before they get weighed in or what? Chris, that, oh, sounds, like a pro- that sounds like a yeah. new business. <coughs> Built on well, and stuff. Um, the the business with losing a lot of weight, you're absolutely right. As we put on weight, skin has this um, 
useful capacity to stretch and grow. So if you apply tension to, to skin, then the skin generates more skin cells and skin tissue and gets bigger, which is how we grow. Um, as we get bigger, we make more skin to keep ourselves covered up. And if you watched the news a couple of weeks ago, there was this gentleman in China who was having a new nose grown on his forehead. In fact, what they were doing was they'd made a nose-shaped scaffold underneath the skin and stretched the skin of his forehead over it so that the skin of the forehead would then grow and you could then move the nose off the forehead down onto the face without leaving a big hole in his forehead. And you're quite right that if these people very quickly shed all of this body mass, all this fat, then they've got a lot of skin to cover a lot of body that's no longer there, so they've got excess skin. And this is a big problem. You end up with people with a sort of apron of, of fat uh, around their middle, and, and very often they'll go to a plastic surgeon and they'll have a thing called a tummy tuck, and what the plastic surgeon will do is, uh, is mobilise their umbilicus, their belly button, and separate that, then take a sort of a segment-shaped piece of tissue and skin out of the tummy. They bring the two edges together and, and then recreate the belly button, stitching it in for them. And they remove, you know, maybe a kilo or two of, of extra skin, in some cases maybe even more skin, which otherwise would just be dangling down. It would be unsightly, but it would also be a problem for that person because it can be uncomfortable. And also you can get uh, sweating there and it can cause infection. You can get skin infections and things, so it's not ideal. Um, what they do on Biggest Loser, I'm afraid you'd have to write to the producers of Biggest Loser and, uh, and express your concerns as to what happens to this skin. And then you can come back here on 702 and tell us, Mary. I'll tell you what, Tim has got an even better problem. Because Tim wants to know what why is an extremely hot bath, bath bad for you? I thought steaming is a good thing. I thought people say you must always steam your chicken, steam your food, it's healthier. But Chris, why is it a problem? Well, uh, if you were to turn the temperature of the bath up too high, then you would potentially be quite severely damaging your health because your body is a biological system and that means that the chemical reactions that keep your body going are uh, optimised to work at body temperature, 37 degrees C. And if you start to increase the temperature beyond that, then the rates of chemical reactions go off kilter, they go too fast. Um, other proteins and, and structures, the things that make your cells and keep your cells the right shape, would also begin to do what's called denature. They change their shape, and that's bad as well. So we, we maintain our body temperature over a very tight range, and if you put yourself in a very hot bath, it puts enormous stress on your body trying to keep your temperature correct, and eventually the mechanisms that you use to lose the excess temperature, like sweating, for example, just can't keep up, and your body temperature rises, and then you throw your metabolism and, and all of your cell structures off, so it would be very, very bad to do that. Um, a little bit of heat is good because it cleans your skin, makes you sweat, you push out all of the dirt off your skin and people find this very refreshing, especially if they have a, a nice scrape down like the Romans used to uh, historically. But too much of that, probably not good because it's going to put, put enormous strain on your circulatory system trying to keep control of your temperature and then ultimately it's going to denature all your enzymes. Too much of a good thing is not good for you. Sai. Oh. I'm good, thank you, Sai. You're speaking to Sai Terence's friend. I know you. I'm the pilot. <laughs> Good to recognize you. Yes, I watch your question for, for uh, so I was talking about um, during winter, colds and flus are prevalent. I just want to know how come it's winter and what does the seasons and the temperature have to do with it? Chris. Yeah, very, very good question. And we don't know for sure why some infectious diseases are seasonal in this way. Because there are some types of virus, for example, that crop up in winter time, but are less common in summer. But then equally, there are other viruses that come in summer 
and they don't tend to be around in winter. And there's a third group of viruses that are around all the year round. In fact, I went and got thousands of records off of our hospital computer system about two or three years ago, and I looked at precisely this. I wanted to know whether different viruses crop up at different times of the year or not, and I found this pattern. There were three, three things happening, winter viruses, summer viruses, and viruses there all year round. So we don't know exactly what causes this to happen. We know that the school year is a really powerful driver, in fact, um, people have done what they call epidemiological studies, looking at when viruses peak and trough during the year, and they have found that children going to school and going on school holidays are one of the most powerful drivers of viruses because you've got lots of children coming together in one place and they share all the things they've got. They then take them home to their families and give them to the adults who then take them into the workplace. So we know that the school year is a potent driver. Some other factors probably play a role, which is things like when it's cold in wintertime, we're more likely to spend more time indoors with the windows closed in close company with other people and there's less sun and less ultraviolet light which will dry out and, and denature or destroy virus particles and this also may affect the infectivity of some agents which are around at certain times of the year particularly things like flu which seems to be quite susceptible to drying and ultraviolet light so it, it's probably a range of factors both human factors and also environmental factors and the, the virus structure itself, which makes some infections more likely to peak and trough at certain times of the year. We've been live with the naked scientist Chris Smith, who's a medical doctor and scientist uh, at Cambridge University in the UK. Chris, it's been fun having you on the show live on the Ready Clubby Show. My name is Tabby Colourthing, standing in for Ready. Please dial in, dial in 011-830-0702 or 021-446-0567. Chris, enjoy your time out there. I know you guys do not have as great weather as we do here. So take it from me. You are suffering there and I'm having fun here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tebe. Very nice to meet you and enjoy the rest of the show. Indeed. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the bad weather. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.